Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. For the second segment today, I'll be welcoming Getting In first-timer Landis Fryer, College Coach Educational Consultant. Prior to joining us, he worked in both the Dartmouth and Northwestern admission offices, so he's got some great experience to bring to the show. He and I will be discussing what seniors should do now that they have deposited at the college they'll be attending. And then for our final segment, I'll be talking with Lauren DiProspero, formerly of Columbia and Stanford Medical School admission offices, about paths to medical school. If you're pre-med or you know someone who is, be sure to listen. And then for the first segment, um, I'll be talking with Michelle Richardson. For those of you who are watching the video, the lovely Michelle is here with me, um, college finance expert here at College Coach about Um, She and I will be talking about work-study, employment, and internships while in college. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Sally. Happy to be here. All right. So first off, I think think not everybody knows what work-study is and what it means. And I certainly didn't before I attended college. So um, why don't we go ahead and start with that? What is federal work-study? So federal work study is actually a partially funded program where college students, both undergrad, graduate, and professional, um, those who complete the FAFSA and have demonstrated financial need, um, they can actually get a federal work study job on campus and are awarded that through the financial aid office. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not just any job that happens to be on campus, because I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies. <laughs> right, right. And I and I think it's very important for uh, people to understand that there is a, a need-based component for federal work study, but a non-need-based component for kind of typical student employment, or they might just call it work study. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you so there are jobs available even if you don't have need, if you don't qualify for the need-based one. Correct. Okay. All right. All right. And so, kind of related to that, what jobs are available for federal work study, and are they only available on a college campus? Uh, so work, federal work study jobs are available both on and off campus. Um, a lot of times federal work study jobs will be working at an, an office on campus or working um, in the dining services or uh, a laboratory or the library. Um, so those are some of the federal work study jobs that are on campus. Now off campus, there can be federal work study jobs off campus as long as the position uh, includes community involvement. So a lot of times it might be an agency or a not-for-profit entity that is affiliated or assimilated with the the college or university. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I had a work-study job. I actually had multiple work-study jobs uh, when I... uh, um, when I was a college student, and the first job was actually running errands for the on-campus infirmary. Um, so that was kind Neat. of fun because I got to know all the nurses. So they were all like, how are you, Sally? Like, it's a kind of nice. I don't think most <laughs> colleges have on-campus infirmaries anymore, probably. So so I don't know how available that one is. But then my jobs after that included working for the admission office, which is how I got this job down the road. So I want to sing the praises of working in college and work study is a great way to do it. I would agree. I had a a work study job many years ago when I was on campus and I'll never forget because I went in thinking, okay, I'm going to probably end up in dining services because a lot, you know, sometimes students do. And, you know, you have to apply for work study jobs Mm -hmm. on campus. And, you know, it's not like they assign you a position, you apply, you interview. And I remember the day I actually landed an office position um, in the Office of Public Relations. 
And I, that was back in the day when we didn't have cell phones. So I just aged myself. But uh, (laughs) I remember calling home at like 10 o'clock in the morning and my mom and dad are like, why are you calling? Everything okay? It's expensive right now. It's during the day. And I said, I just had to tell you, I, I landed an office job for work study. And, um, you know, it was a great, it was a great opportunity. Um, and I too think that that helped me kind of position me in my workplace. And I determined when I was working that job, I enjoyed working with people and in the public and um, in an office setting. So, um, it was highly beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, there was a statistic that I read somewhere. I wish I could remember where so I could cite it properly, but that working up to 20 hours a week actually is a, is um, correlated with higher grades. More than 20 hours a week can, like some students can handle it. I think most of them can't. Um, but up to 20 hours a week is higher grades correlation. Absolutely. There's quite a few studies on that. I know one um, article is from EAB, but um, you're exactly right. And I tell families when we speak with them here at College Coach um, about the the many benefits of of having a student work part-time, whether it's if they qualify through a need-based program like federal work study or maybe just getting a student job um, on campus. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of jobs, there's priority given to student, um, to federal work study, but not all. Um, So, yeah. Right. And, you know, um, sometimes I get asked by families, you know, would it be better for my, you know, student to work off campus? And and I just read an article that talked about, you know, off-campus positions might offer a higher wage, Mm-hmm. Um, than maybe an on-campus position. Um, typically, work-study, whether it's federal work-study or just student employment on campus, um, for undergrads, it's typically an hourly wage. It typically starts at the state minimum wage, but it can go up from there depending on, on the position. But there's a lot of other uh, benefits from working on campus. One, just like you said, Um, Typically, on-campus positions allow for more flexibility. They are more understanding during finals week and and watching hours um, for their uh, students. Um, Another thing I often think about is security, and you're not commuting somewhere. And so if you are working at the library later at night or um, in a a cafe or or something of that nature on campus, you can call security and have them walk you, you know, back to your uh, residence um, where you don't have that opportunity typically with an off-campus job. And, you know, I think we all know there's a lot of skills, uh, soft skills that are learned with student employment, time Mm -hmm. management, organization. Um, You can probably speak to this better than I can, but, you know, it looks great on a college admissions, uh, um, you know, application for employment prior to college, but even for grad school or professional school and and having um, that experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, my first job when I was looking for like a real job, one of my first jobs was at a bookstore and I talked about being a tour guide as proof that I could work with. And and they thought that was great. I also worked at a youth hostel, like an international youth hostel. And with that, I talked about my experience as a resident advisor. Like these are both situations where I was hired very quickly Because compared to other people my age who were the only ones applying for these, let's face it, very low wage jobs (laughs) initially, you know, I had this really notable um, experience. And then, of course, you know, working as an intern in the admission office, then I got my career job, which was in the admission office, which led me here. So I I really do recommend it. I mean, I think that uh, 
Yeah, I would say that my friends who didn't have uh, uh, jobs were no like more or less stressed out than I was. It was basically the same. And I thought it was good for me to talk to people who weren't in the throes of finals every once in a while. So um, I do just want to comment, too, that there are actually some well-paid jobs. When I worked at the University of Chicago, we hired students to work on our website. We obviously had you know, a full-time staff member doing the supervision, but in all honest, he was very honest with me. He's like, honestly, their skills are far better than mine. I'm just like Mm -hmm. telling them what to do. And then they do it because it would take me three times as long to do what they do. And it worked great for them because they could just pop in, in between classes here and there. And they were making really quite a high wage, at least compared to other students. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I think about the networking opportunities that you can build on on campus, whether you're working in a lab or, you know, working research um, as a a, a grad uh, student. So um, there's a a lot of benefits, you know, you might even meet, uh, you know, friends outside of your major um, that maybe you wouldn't have had an opportunity to meet had you not been working alongside them. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else about work study? I know I kind of, we had an outline and I sort of jumped around all over it. So what else should be mentioned that, uh, uh, that I forgot to ask you? Um, um, Actually, um, I think we kind of covered everything on okay. on work study. We talked about the benefits and and you know kind of the hours. You know, typical mm-hmm. hours per week are anywhere from eleven to, to twenty, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and sometimes um, students do. Uh, they may be able to uh, work more than what their federal work study award actually is if there's funding left towards like the end of the second semester. Um, And one other thing I would just mention about federal work study is you have to apply for federal work study because it's a need-based program that's somewhat federally uh, subsidized. So, um, there is a question on the FAFSA that asks about, do you want to be considered for work study? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the indicator to the financial aid office that, yes, this student is interested in federal work study if they qualify. Um, the other part to that is if a student doesn't qualify and it's not on their financial aid award letter, then I tell them to reach out to student employment, look online and see how to get a, a non-federal uh, work-study position or student employment on campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were plenty of jobs at both Reed and University of Chicago for, I mean, if you got work-study, we were like, awesome. But if you didn't have it, we would still hire you if you were the right one for the job, without a doubt. So, all right. What about internships? Um you know, what are they? And I think that's a really good question because people act like internships are sort of like this magical thing. And (laughs) (laughs) so what, what are internships? You know, internships are really work experience that is typically offered for a limited period of time, like one to, to four months. You know, I think a lot of us are very Um, accustomed to maybe summer internships. And there's a lot of of industries that offer internships, um, like medicine, law, um, finance, technology, um, architecture, science, engineering. Um, And just like student employment, there is um, a lot of, I would say, benefits from having an internship opportunity and even, you know, more than one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, again, uh, (laughs) work experience, internship experience on campus, off campus, it's definitely going to be helping you. So um, what, I mean, what level are students typically when they apply for internships? Yeah, so great question. Um, Really all levels. So um, there are internships for students at community college, and sometimes people will call those apprenticeships for more of those technical programs like electric or maybe HVAC, um, welding, that kind of thing. But internships are very common for undergrad students as well as graduate and, and professional and I think they're a great way, especially for undergrads, to 
dip their toe in the water if they've not had an opportunity to do a job shadow or get some working experience in that industry that they're studying for, uh, because that could be a make it or break it you know, a uh, type of situation where they may find, you know what, I, I'm, I might not be happy doing this the rest of my life or wow, I love this. I'm, you know, so excited to continue. And there's, you know, oftentimes internships, it's really a win-win for the entity and, and the student because, um, many businesses will hire their interns, mm-hmm. um, after they graduate and the, you know, student is in graduated now is able to have a, a job that for an entity that they're already familiar with. And the same with the business, they're, you know, not having to do all of that training that maybe a, a non-intern would. Um, so again, it, it can be a win-win for the entity and the student. Mm-hmm. And I think people are used to thinking of internships as unpaid, but at least some of them are paid, correct? They are. They are. So, you know, there are paid and unpaid internships. And um, I know in our build program, we have a quote that talks um, about that there is still a lot of value in unpaid internships, mm-hmm. such as the the mentoring and the experience and in transferring that, you know, into uh, their next step after, after graduation. So, uh, you know, an unpaid internship may not offer the financial benefit, but you still get all the other benefits of having that opportunity. Mm -hmm. All right. Great. All right. I think that covers it. Um, so thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much, Sally, for having me on. All right, now we're going to be taking a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking with Landis Fryer about what to do now that you've picked your college and made your deposit. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Landis. Uh, This is your first time on the show, so we're excited to have you. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. All right. So um, the big question for seniors now is, so they sent in their deposit. They're free, right? They just have to show up on campus on the first day. Everything's fine. You know, that would be delightful if that actually were the case. But there are several things that students need to do and be aware of before showing up to campus. Mm-hmm. And we're here to talk about uh, some of those items to make sure that students are being able to follow up on things that they have to do. Mm-hmm. before they actually show up and after they've been accepted. Yeah, and I have to stress, I mean, I actually have a friend whose sister catastrophically forgot to accept her financial aid award oh. and didn't realize it until too late, and then the yep. aid was gone. So, yeah, uh, it's ridiculous. And funny enough, that's the number one thing on my list, right? Right. Is that, <laughs> uh, a student at the same time that they get their acceptance letter, they often are getting their information from financial aid as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the number one thing that students need to do. Speak with financial aid, 
see whether or not there's any more money they can get or how they need to mm -hmm. uh, follow up by signing promissory notes and looking towards what actual items they have to complete in order to make sure that they get that financial aid package so it kicks in right when they start school in the fall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, students should be hyper, hyper aware of this because otherwise Absolutely. the money can, because I, I know that like with this friend of mine, I mean, honestly, I was kind of like, I'm going to throw this friend of mine's parents under the bus. I was like, <laughs> why were they involved in this? She's 18. What was his, yeah. but you know, she kind of thought, well, of course they know I need the money, but right. they needed her signature and they needed her parents' signature. So right. Follow the details, like pay attention. I just, I can't so stress important. this enough. Yeah. So important because again, like the acceptance letter is just the beginning. That's just mm -hmm. opening the door for all of these other steps that need to happen before, you know, the student shows up on campus. And again, that financial aid is the biggest one. And mm -hmm. it, it's my number one item for students and parents to remember, get the financial aid uh, situation all aligned. So mm -hmm. that again, starting this fall, everything will be nice and order. Mm -hmm. And the student can just, again, kind of pick up and continue. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I do have a, a, a list of other items that students Please. should be aware of. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, like the financial aid is number one, and they also have to accept the offer. Typically, schools give a deadline of May 1st mm -hmm. for students to accept their admission offer. But in addition to that, students must decline offers that they got from other schools as well, mm -hmm. not to leave them hanging. And that lets those other schools free up space for students that may be on the wait list or other areas like that. So mm -hmm. once you accept your offer, don't forget to decline the offers at other places. Mm -hmm. And even though this show is airing after May 1st, it's yeah. not too late to decline the offers from the other schools. And That's if right. you're on the wait list, this is something to think about as well. That's right. Because if you are on the wait list, you're hoping that those students are declining those offers as well because they've mm -hmm. been admitted somewhere else, right? And yeah. that frees up those spaces for schools to, again, take students away from the wait list and bring them into the class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the next thing to do is to make sure that your deposits are sent in and that you're signing all those documents that Sally and I talked about. You want to send in whatever money the school is asking for you to submit in order to secure your place in the class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the next thing to be mindful of, number four here, is that your admissions is a conditional offer, okay? So it is conditional upon you successfully completing your senior year because you have to ask your guidance counselor to send in a final year school report, and this includes your transcript all the way through your date of graduation. And so you want to make sure that you don't rest on your laurels and be like, oh, I'm in, so I don't have mm -hmm. to do anything with my classes anymore. No, continue to study. Because if you do kind of slack off and things don't go so well, a school could possibly rescind that offer of admission. Mm -hmm. We did it at Chicago. Yeah. There was a student who dropped a few classes without asking. I mean, you know, if the student had come to us and been like, I have mono, I can't do right. all this. We would have, of course, said we understand. Absolutely. But she dropped, I think, three classes, actually, three of her academic solids. Jeez. So we withdrew her admission. There, she had no good reason for it. Her admission was gone. There it is. And yeah. it happened It happened when I was at Dartmouth and at Northwestern as well. You mm -hmm. know, students got the senioritis, as it's called. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, no, like you took back my offer of admission. Oh, yes. Again, it's conditional. Right. Mm -hmm. You're basically mm -hmm. saying to that school that by the time that you complete your senior year, you will have maintained those grades that you mm -hmm. demonstrated when you applied. Mm -hmm. And that's really what they're hoping that you do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I do want to stress, though, again, like if you're sick, if something happens, you know, reach out to the college. They, that's that's right. if a good reason. They're going to understand. They're going to be under they will be understanding. Have your counselor advocate for you as well. But absolutely. Um, but otherwise, keep up your grades. I will also say, too, that even at University of Chicago, if a mm -hmm. student picked up one additional B or something, that was not a reason. Right. We're going to withdraw there. It was a real like dramatic decrease. Correct. Correct. So <laughs> if, you, if you get a B in that AP physics class, that, yeah. that's fine. No, yeah. it has to be something dramatic, right? Like a huge drop off in grades or you drop courses or mm -hmm. something like that. Again, stay in touch with the admissions office if there is something that go comes up so that they're aware of that situation as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but like getting getting a B. Okay, that's yeah. fine. But like, no. yeah, don't panic about the B. Yeah, <laughs> don't panic about the B. But dropping all of your classes, you know, mm-hmm. and just like not doing anything that could mm-hmm. that could be problematic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of like naturally leads us to the next part is like stay up with regards to the communication that you have with the admissions office. Uh, the one thing that you want to do to make sure is that you sign up for your college email. So typically they'll reach out to you and say, okay, now it's time for you to set up your .edu email account, right? And so be aware of that because you'll probably start getting some information directly emailed to you from the school that's going to your college um, email account. Mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure to sign up for that. And you want to also join any social media. So try to follow your school social media to see like what kind of updates and campus changes that may be occurring. So that again, you can say very well aware of what is happening at the school prior to your arrival. Mm-hmm. But following social media does not mean that you can neglect to check your email. This is a constant Absolutely. battle with my students. So I'm going to say it again. You got to check your email. <laughs> you have to check your email. So again, they'll probably be using your personal email for a, a little bit. And then once you sign up for the school's actual email, that's something that you should be on top of as well so that you are getting all of those communication pieces mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check your email, kids. Okay. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> like your school may not be is probably not going to be tweeting you or mm-hmm. they're not going to be uh Snapchatting or sending or TikToks texting or anything. Or, right. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna be much more uh into the email. So please mm-hmm. stay on top of your email, follow those because those are gonna be the the biggest line of communication that mm-hmm. your school is gonna be having with you. Um Start to number six is looking, start to look for orientation programs. Mm -hmm. There are some pre college orientation programs that happen in the summer that they want first year students to get on campus, maybe a little bit earlier than other students. So look out for those orientation programs and what those dates are. And also schools offer placement exams. So sometimes they'll give you an opportunity to take an exam to opt out of one of the requirements that may be given for first year. So also look to see what kind of placement exams your school offers if they give you an opportunity to kind of like, again, skip over an introductory level course. Mm -hmm. And that, again, typically happens within one or two weeks of the actual semester beginning. So, again, make sure that you're aware of those deadlines, those uh, dates for the orientation and for the on-campus placement exams. Mm -hmm. Right. I know when I was at Dartmouth, we had a pre uh, campus uh, experience called the D trips, so mm-hmm. the students could go on campus a little bit earlier, but actually experience different uh, hiking or camping or canoeing uh, prior to them going on campus. And this became one of the ways that first year students could bond and get to know each other, because students on that trip with you would often be in different dormitories as well. So mm-hmm. you would be able to find students from all over the campus and really have those kind of connective experiences prior to the actual term beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't recommend those enough. They, we had those at Reed as well, where mm-hmm. I went. And and I didn't go on one because I'd just come back from a year abroad. Oh, and okay. my, mom, my mom was like, I'm only going to have you home for three weeks. Are you kidding right. me? Like, you know, so, but in general, like the students who went on it all loved it. And they did, they had already had like a group of friends as a result. So That's right, that's right. And that's one of those experiences that carry through almost throughout the entirety of your college experience, right? So any of those orientation programs, look for them, make sure that you're able to attend. Because mm-hmm. again, that does give you some kind of good bonding experience with other kids. You know, the funny thing is, Alec, I didn't go on one either. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pushing them right now. Because like, I didn't, I was a Boy Scout, so I didn't mm-hmm. want to actually go on a hiking trip because I had mm-hmm. done that already. Right. Uh, but when I got to campus, like uh, the students and the other first year students in the dorm were like, oh my goodness, my trip was so amazing. We mm-hmm. ate s'mores and we talked about our lives. And I was mm-hmm. like, so jealous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh. Exactly. I mean, it was the right thing for me to do to stay home because I had so, been away for a year, but, um, but yeah, I was jealous too. I was like, that's right. a lot of fun. So. It sounds like a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, why didn't I? Yeah. Um, number seven up on my list is, uh, Don't forget to start sending in and looking to see about sending in your medical records. Mm -hmm. Uh, Choose your insurance options. If you're saying your parents insurance, want options through the school and also make sure that you create your emergency contacts. Mm -hmm. So any of this kind of medical related uh, uh, options, 
you should look into getting done before you get to campus as well. Uh, as you can see in the news lately, some schools are starting to require COVID vaccinations prior to students coming to campus. Mm -hmm. So you want to be aware of what your school status is regarding that vaccination, along with other vaccinations that probably came mm -hmm. along in your childhood, including things like polio and the MMR vaccine and mm -hmm. things like that. So yeah. you want to make sure to send all of your medical records to the school so that they have them available when you come to the campus. Yeah, traditionally, MMR is going to be required for a community college. It doesn't yep. matter if you're not living on campus. So I think right. the vaccines, yeah, look out for these. Yeah. That's right. So again, making sure that you are checking with the school and getting all of your medical records. If you have any other pre-existing conditions, again, being able to let the school know that those are there so that if something comes up, like maybe you have allergic reactions and you need an EpiPen around all the time. Again, those kind of things the school needs to be aware of. So making sure that they know about the, your medical history and that you are signing all those documents and waivers is going to be very important as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, next, kind of along these logistics lines, uh, do you have a bank account? You know, how are you going to travel? So thinking about setting up a bank account if you don't have one can be an easy way for your family to send you money. It can also be an easy way for the school to then deposit money into your account if you do work study. So like thinking about having a bank account set up and ready prior to getting to campus is going to be a very good thing for you to do. Mm -hmm. okay. and, and it'll probably be in the information packet, like bank accounts or Absolutely. banks that have uh, branches close to the campus. So look, look for that. Absolutely. And you can also do some research prior to going to the campus to see like, okay, uh, out here in Philadelphia, for example, there are a lot of PNC branches, mm -hmm. but over here in San Francisco, there are a lot of Bank of America branches. Mm -hmm. So like you want to see like, okay, how accessible are those branches for me and for my family? Are they connected? But with a lot of things that are happening now, like with Cash App and Zelle and Finmo, it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to trend to send money between different banking institutions, but mm -hmm. you still want to have a receiving account so yeah. that again, uh, your parents or family or who's ever supporting you. And again, with work study, you want all of that direct deposit to your own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I remember having at least two accounts. It's funny because uh, my, what, I think my first account was with Bay Bank mm -hmm. in uh, Massachusetts, which then got bought, bought by Fleet Bank which then got bought, I think, by Bank of America. So there were a lot of, <laughs> like, acquisitions and stuff. And so the original bank that I had when I was in college is now a huge multinational corporation, right? Yeah. Just because of all the mergers and acquisitions and everything that happened in the banking industry in the 90s and 2000s, especially after the um, the 2008 financial crisis. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it can so, happen. Yeah, so right, so the bank that I had when I was in college does not exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're all dating ourselves in this show. So, I know. <laughs> yeah. So Landis, just so you know, we have like two minutes left. Okay. okay. So uh, the the final couple of uh, items that I want to say, and then I'll give a, a quick summary again, is uh, also. Think about your room and board selection. So finding a room on campus, like they will often give you information about selecting a room and along with that, a roommate. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that you fill out all of those forms and also select what your dining options will be. So they'll give you information and details about that. So that's going to be your room and your board. Um, and then after the roommate situation has happened over the summer, I encourage you to contact your roommate to say, mm -hmm. hey, what's up? You know, this is me uh, so that they get a little bit of a heads up and you get to know them and they get to know you. And then finally, make sure that you send all your final payments before mm -hmm. the semester begins. Again, this loops back to number one about speaking with financial aid so that, again, you know what is required and you're able to make sure that all of those documents are sent and received and all the money is done and all your funding is in so that you can start that semester with um, with no worries with regards to your financial aid. Mm -hmm. So again, speak to financial aid, accept the offers online, decline the other offers, send in your deposits and sign your loan documents, keep up your grades because the offer is conditional, set up your email account, sign up for those orientation programs, send all your medical records, think about getting a bank account set up, get your room and board selected, and then make sure all your final payments are in before the semester begins. So those are some of the things to do, uh, 10 things to do before getting in. Now that you've been accepted, what you have to look forward to to do this summer. Okay. All right. Thank you so cool. much, Landis. You're welcome and enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Absolutely. You too. Okay. All bye. right. 
We're going to take a short break, and then Lauren DiProspero will be telling us about paths to medical school. Awesome. Enjoy. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. So this segment, as I've already told our uh, listeners and viewers, is about different paths to medical school, which is, I know, of huge interest to many, many students. Um, so let's let's like just kind of dig right in. What are the paths yeah. to medical school? Yeah, absolutely. So the first path is probably the one that everybody is most familiar with, right? So most high school students would say, I'm pre-med. I want to be looking at pre-med. Um, And I think the most surprising things to students is that pre-med is not a major, but an advising track at the vast majority of schools, right? Um, And interestingly, a slight bit of a tangent, but (laughs) the medical schools don't care what you major in. So you Mm -hmm. can major in anything, right? So that's a key thing to know about this is that as long as you fulfill certain prerequisites, gain experience, you can major in classics and be a pre-med student. Mm -hmm. So for this traditional sort of pre-med path is one that has a lot of options open to you, right? Because you have the major, you Mm -hmm. can attend um, nearly any college or university, spend their undergraduate years preparing for medical school. They can apply to medical school anytime from the end of their junior year through any point in their life, (laughs) anytime Mm -hmm. postgraduate, explore different fields along the way in or out of college. Um, and there are pathways that if you find your path to medical school later, or you trip up academically in college, that can prepare you to apply for medical school. So that's the one that most people think about when they think about pre-med and the path to medical school. Mm-hmm. So what classes should they be taking since there is no pre-med major? You yeah. know, they can major in classics. Like I'm yep. guessing that medical schools don't just want, you know... Like Virgil's Aeneid, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So there's going to be a pretty prescribed pathway that you would want to talk to your pre-med advisor about when you get to campus. Um, The reason that I kind of always say talk to your pre-med advisor is because at least one school I can think of, you have to take three different versions of chemistry to get to orgo. (laughs) Right. So sometimes those school specific requirements before you get to the levels of what medical schools might want, which most people can guess are orgo and things in biochemistry, physics, and math. Let me just Um, clarify orgo is organic chemistry, right? Yes. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Shorthand just always hits my brain with that one. Um, But for high school students, right, who are considering this, you know, I want them to be paying particular attention to science and to math. Mm -hmm. And I have another little piece of advice that I think might surprise some listeners, but basically thinking you in high school, you should be taking the three pillars, biology, chemistry, and physics. Mm -hmm. I want most students except as electives to avoid anatomy, 
non-physical science courses, right? They can be electives, but as your core academic subjects, because they want to see that you have that science foundation um, and challenge yourself in those areas. So maybe it's an honors or an AP, um, but don't fret if your high school assigns you to environmental science in freshman year, right? And that's what every freshman has to take focus the rest of your time on getting those foundational sciences and be sure to take science for four years. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with math, right? Take advanced classes, the higher level, the better, four years. And my surprise piece of advice is that communication is really important in medicine. Mm-hmm. So humanities and social sciences really shouldn't be overlooked. So it really is a well-rounded curriculum and making sure you're taking English, history, and those sorts of classes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read, I, I was looking at the results of, this is the previous version of the MCAT. Mm-hmm. It was kind of interesting because like philosophy majors did better on the MCAT than biology majors did. I mean, this mm-hmm. was the last version. I haven't seen the update, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, so that is interesting. Yeah. You know? And the most recent version of the MCAT, which was put into place, I think about six years ago or so, maybe seven at this point, um, they include questions on psychology and sociology. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not just the, the, the sciences part, like the, the traditional sciences that you might think about. Um, and certainly interviewing for, for medical school, interacting with patients, communications and ability to do those sorts of things are really important. And they get a lot of those skills you get from an English class or a mm-hmm. history class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or doing debate as an activity. Exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> things like that. So Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, and what you mentioned pre-med advising. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Yeah. So pretty much every school will have some sort of pre-health or pre-med advisor. Where it's located in the structure might vary school to school. For some that might exist in the career development office, in others, they may have a devoted pre-med or pre-health office. Others, it might be a pre-professional advising, right, that encompasses pre-law and other areas as well. Um, And so it's just going to vary by campus. You can ask your residential advisor, your advisor, your faculty advisor, they'll know how to steer you in that direction and is likely information that you would come across in enrolling in, in college. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Great. All right. And so what is another path? And I admit that I'm somebody who really just kind of knows mostly about the pre-med path. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, let's dive yeah. into the others. Yeah. So the other one is early assurance programs. So most families are not aware of these as opportunities. They are a little bit more hidden, but not hidden on purpose. They're just not something that comes up that often in the college search. And so an early assurance program is when a medical school partners with one or more undergraduate colleges and allows their students to apply when they're a sophomore or junior and receive a conditional acceptance, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, these, like I said, are harder to find. Sometimes you can find them on the undergraduate college's pre-med advising website. I've been seeing that a little bit more. A couple of years ago, you really couldn't find them. Um, and some of them are aimed at specific populations. So that's something to keep in mind. So some create a pipeline from underrepresented communities into medical communities, such as Boston University's early medical school selection program. Um, others like Georgetown and Loyola Chicago exist only for their own undergraduate students. Mm-hmm. And then there are a very small number of programs that allow students to apply from any college such as ICANN School of Medicine, the Flex Med program, um, the University of Toledo's College of Medicine Med Start program. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they, they kind of vary, and you can find them at surprising places. Um, one medical school that has a lot is the University of Rochester, um, and at a lot of smaller liberal arts schools across the Northeast and in the South as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, I knew University of Rochester had really good yeah. kind of pre-med in general and sent a yes. student there recently for, for pre-med. So she was very excited about her opportunities there. Yeah. All right. Um, what kind of students would benefit from early assurance? So, you know, it might be a student who knows for sure that this is their pathway, that they've done a lot of work in those first year or two in college to prepare themselves, Right. 
because you're still applying to medical school at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you're applying to one medical school and going through the process that that school has, but you have to be active, academically strong, kind of hit the ground running to show that you've explored things clinically. Maybe you're involved in research. It doesn't mean that your application is going to look identical to someone applying to medical school after having three to four years under their belt, right? Um, they still expect you to be doing well. They're going to expect that you have certain parts of your application place, right? It's a conditional acceptance. So you have to meet certain markers to continue on. So you have to be pretty confident that you're going to be able to do that. Um, your pre-med advisor can help you understand if you're competitive. And if your school, your college partners with one or more medical schools, maybe it's that there's one that makes more sense for you than the other. Um, and also looking at the mission for the medical school. Where are they located? Is that a patient population you're interested in? Um, you know, just thinking about, is this where I want to go to medical school as opposed to, you know, just autopiloting and say, I'm going to medical school. There's so mm -hmm. much more to it than, than just going to medical school and making sure you're a match for the mission of that school. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's really interesting. I don't think people think a lot about the mission, but different schools really do have different defined types of missions. So. Yeah, exactly. Some might be more primary care focused. Some mm -hmm. might be very heavy into research. And if you are just not a research person, you've tried it, you did it because you heard the medical schools want it, but you just don't like it, then you shouldn't be looking at schools whose mission is based in research. And so there are all sorts of schools out there and you can find the ones that are the best fit for you. And a lot of times discovering that is in their mission. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, are there any downsides to early assurance? Um, well, you're not going to be able to consider the totality of what's out there, mm -hmm. right? So let's consider best case scenario. You apply, you're accepted, you're doing well, you go on to medical school, right? That is a win to be mm -hmm. sure, but you aren't going out and saying, okay, what is the totality of the medical schools I could be applying to, mm -hmm. right? What are the different locations I want to be, be looking at to, to continue my medical education, so that can be challenging, right? You're deciding fairly early in your, high, in your college career where you might be going to medical school. So that's something to keep in mind. But for some students, right, they, they think, hey, I know exactly where I want to go and it's paired and I knew about this mm -hmm. early assurance and this is where I'm going to go. So it can be a great pathway. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that it's not a lot of students each year from, you know, individual colleges, um, so I know, I think it's, um, Arizona state's honors college has a pairing with their medical school and it's only 10 students a year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know the numbers out of some of the small, smaller liberal arts schools, maybe paired with Rochester or similar schools or George Washington, but I can't imagine that they're accepting a lot of students. So it's pretty competitive, um, mm -hmm. for those that are interested, um, mm -hmm. So just something to keep in mind, but definitely something I tell my families about because I think it's a great alternative to pre-med and what we're going to be talking about next. <laughs> okay. So let's, perfect transition. Sure. Let's move on to that. What is the third option? Yep. So the third one is a BSMD program. Um, and so what that is, is you apply to an undergraduate school and you're admitted to that undergraduate school and you know, if admitted, you are conditionally admitted to uh, the medical school affiliated with that school. Mm -hmm. um, this is really designed for students who have been certain of their medical path for a long time, mm -hmm. who have been preparing academically and extracurricularly for most of high school. Um, and, you know, it, again, it's a conditional acceptance because usually there's a lot of programming and support and requirements out of the BSMD program. Once you get to the undergraduate, um, you might even have to take the MCAT, which surprises families. Mm -hmm. Most of the time you do still have to take the MCAT. They're typically seven to eight years. It's very rare to come across a six-year medical program. So it can shorten that time. But Another surprising fact is that a lot of students take five years to complete medical school because they take a year off to do research to be competitive for residency. Mm -hmm. So it might not really, really shorten it all that much, depending upon your um, perspective. Um, 
And a lot are only open to U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that really surprises families when they, they dig in. Mm-hmm. All right. So we only have two minutes left, but I do just want to quickly, I think people think the BSMD program is like amazing. And obviously there are wonderful things about it, but let's just quickly talk about a few of the disadvantages there too. Yeah. yeah. So again, you are deciding where you're going. So assuming you get in, you're deciding where you're going to medical school when you are 17, 18 mm-hmm. years old right? You don't know what college is going to bring. You don't know where you're going to be at the end of four years. Um, For some students, that's exciting, but you want to be thinking about, do I want to spend the next eight or so years in this one location, Mm -hmm. right? Is this what I want to be doing? Um, A lot of schools that are more selective don't have this program. And sometimes, you know, students do step out of the program and look around and kind of wish that they had gone somewhere else. Um, It doesn't mean that selectivity is the most important thing, but these Mm -hmm. students, it is very, very selective to get in. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes these students are pairing BSMDs with other selective schools and realize that it's not quite the same fit for them. Mm -hmm. Um, There are benefits, right, from research to relationships and that continuity. Mm -hmm. But for other students, that can be really stifling. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's a lot to think about, um, and a lot to make that decision when you are 17 or 18 years old, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly the right decision for some students. Absolutely. Yeah. Just think about it carefully. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. And thanks so much to Landis and Michelle Um, and listeners get ready for our show next week. Beth Heaton, our regular host, will be answering listener questions with Shannon Vesconcelos, college coach, finance expert and um, getting in regular. Um, And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. And if you want to search for a particular show topic, You can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. And last, don't forget, we're here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.